Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range to Capital podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager here at Rangely, and with me as always is my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Muth. It is Friday, April 29th, and today we're going to talk about different ways investors can protect themselves from a coming equity collapse. And I don't say that as in its coming, just if you thought it was coming or if you think equities are going to decline, how to protect yourself. And then we'll talk a bit about what we're looking for at Berkshire's annual meeting tomorrow. Uh, so Chris, I'm going to kick it off with a little background. The stock market is currently up about 1% year-to-date. It's within a few percent of all-time highs, and uh, the general consensus for the stock market seems to be getting increasingly bullish by the day, notwithstanding kind of the past two days were decent down days, but it seems like everybody's getting a much more rosy view. And I think what's inspired us to tape this podcast is uh, when we really got started podcasting a few months ago, uh, the, the consensus view was hugely bearish. In early February, the market was down 1% on almost a daily basis. We even had kind of a running joke whenever we taped a podcast, the market was down like 1% or 2% that day, every day. And uh, we had friends and colleagues who would email us every day asking, what's the best way to hedge the market? What's our best short idea right now? And now we're not really getting any of those. Uh, we even taped podcasts at the time entitled, is it time to panic and how to profit from Mr. Market's fear, discussing the panic in the markets and how to take advantage of them? Uh, our, our kind of the short answer to is it time to panic then was no, it's not time to panic. So let's start the discussion with Chris, is now the time to panic and what's the best way to protect yourself if you think a market sell-off is coming? It is not the right time to panic. It's okay. never the right time to panic. <laughs> and it's not the right time to panic for a uh, reason that I think is related to statistical elegance, which is if you're in an airplane and you look to the left and the engine bursts on fire, and you might say a bad word, your heartbeat <laughs> goes up a bit, and then you look over to the right and the second engine bursts on fire and you remember you're only in a two-engine plane. What's important is to fight like crazy to survive once you're down to a 1% or yeah. so probability. And it's for an important reason, which is if you're going to give up and you only have 1% chance... All your probabilities were skewed ahead of time when you were doing your risk reward and you said, well, you had a 10% chance in the given scenario. You never had a 10% chance if you're going to give up that last 1% chance. Yep, yep. Um, and so you've ruined all of your Excel sheets if you give up when you only have 1% chance. So it's very important as a statistician <laughs> that when both engines are on fire and you're heading, your, your, your nose is, you, all you see is water or a mountain, that you don't panic uh, uh, and, uh, and, and you keep uh, fighting for survival. And sometimes you survive those situations. Okay, so uh, I think we both agree now is not the right time to panic. No. Never is the right time to panic. No. As a rational person, you should never be trying to panic. But let's talk about... Is now the right time for caution? Should investors be looking at the market with kind of a skeptical eye today? Well, just like it's never the right time to panic, it's always the right time to have <laughs> caution and skepticism. Both are warranted. Now, maybe more than usual. I mean, who knows? Uh, one of the things that out of the corner of my eye I notice is volatility. Mm -hmm. I'm not a volatility trader. I am a great uh, hater, skeptic, cynic, debunker, and observer of the... Uh, the volatility-weighted uh, uh, securities, all of which are ultimately worth zero. And I happened to, out of the corner of my eye, noticed that the volatility is, uh, the, the implied volatility is very low right now, uh, and the volatility of reality is high. So this is something that makes me 
particularly wary. So I believe, just to quote, you are a great cynic, skeptic, and debunker. So I'm also going to say you're humble. That's that's a th- another thing you are. But I agree with you. Volatility right now is around it's around 12 or 13. I think the long-term average is 15, but 12 or 13 is historically extremely low. And equity markets, we can argue if they're overvalued or fairly valued. But there's nobody who can really, with a straight face, say, I think equity markets are undervalued today. They're within a few percent of all-time highs. Uh, We can discuss a bunch of different measures there are for equity markets, uh, but almost all of them point to above normal valuation Mm -hmm. ranges. So you get this combo, low volatility, implying low fear, with uh, with above average valuations. And I would say now is a better time to be looking for hedges, shorts, uh, things that protect your downside than it was in February when everyone was panicking and looking for those things is kind of where I wanted to drive this conversation. And and you might have noticed uh, at the bottom, within 24 hours of the bottom, were half the requests for short ideas inbound that you and I have received this year. And and the funny thing is the bottom, uh, by no means, volatility was very high and fear was very high, but by no means were stocks cheap. on a statistical basis mm-hmm. then, I think uh, we one of our podcasts was very close to the bottom. And we said, well, you know, stocks are kind of valued at uh, U.S. GDP. The valuation of stocks market cap to GDP is kind of 100%. And historically, that's kind of fair valuation. So stocks only kind of bottom out this year at a fairish valuation. Go ahead. I would also say that I am very careful about overly clever, cute Hedges, Mm -hmm. Uh, having kind of worked professionally through 2008 and 2009 and seen the experience of short biased funds that were getting massive liquidations, Mm -hmm. driving prices and their great short ideas up as they liquidated what was otherwise successful funds. I would say that uh, you should never use a hedge to take a bad idea and counterweight it with a different bad idea Mm -hmm. that every one of your ideas should be robustly mispriced adding value to your portfolio and you can have these roughly balanced between great short ideas and great long ideas but a bad idea counterbalanced by another bad idea can have two things go horribly wrong at the worst time and a lot of the complex strategies some of the convertible arb strategies uh they were terrible until the hedges broke completely at which point you could take either one of the sides and make money once you got into 2009 so i would just be left with that to say that when you're being wary when you're being cautious uh, the best two solutions are the boringest two solutions: cash and sizing the supply. Okay, so you're kind of running ahead of me. Let, let me shoot. No, no, no. That, that's perfectly fine. We're going to get there. I just want to wrap up the market valuation stuff. So, just to throw some market valuation stuff out: uh, last trailing month price to earnings of the stock market is at 23. The average for the market is 15 to 16 over a long period of time. The Schiller price earnings, which is kind of the 10-year average earnings today, sits at 26. The historical average is around 17. The implied return for the next year based on the Schiller return and like what the market's done at this level is around 0% for the next year. Market cap to GDP is currently at about 118%. We think fair value is kind of around 100% and things start getting interesting in the 80 to 90% range. Uh, again, based on this metric, the implied return for the market for the next few years is basically flat. And then I also think, you know, over the past 30 years, it's been a great 30 years for stocks and bonds. That's been driven by inflation going from double digits to almost zero and interest rates going from double digits to almost zero. We won't have that tailwind going forward. In fact, I think we both agree it's kind of likely over the long term that's a headwind as inflation and interest rates both 
don't even skyrocket, just rise a little bit to more normal levels. Do you want to comment on that or do you want I to do, go to ways I, to I attack? Do, let me go just ahead. Ju- jump in there. One is there's something incredibly pleasurable about a market that's priced for a 0% return, which is if you're long term oriented, you can do all the research you want with your mm-hmm. cash just sitting there in a pile. And it's not costing you anything. Mm-hmm. And also things that strategies that intrinsically take a long time to develop, contingency rights, mutual conversions, that this thought that, oh my gosh, it's going to take five years and then you're going to have this gold mine uh, is less worrisome than at times I've been through like the late 90s where every schmuck was making 30% yep, a year and you yep. felt like a bozo. I mean, I had a time uh, coming through the financial crisis where... At the personal level, all of my wife's and my money was in mutual conversions. And we thought, this is terrible. It's only making 5% a year federally insured while we wait for these bonanzas. It ended up being great. Um, let me just refer to one thing in terms yeah. of uh, what we've come out of. Here is my biggest caution, which is everybody investing now, especially in the older end that has done very, very well mm-hmm. in my parents' generation in their uh, um, uh, 401ks, that kind of thing, um, they're living in a sample size of one. McKinsey yeah. just put out this good result, good, good, yeah, very yeah. good report. Last time I complimented one. Uh, it, it, anyways, uh, saying that people had lived through and expected a return of about 7%. They're going to get a return of about 4%. Mm-hmm. Massively undercapitalized for a 4% return. People should be saving for a 4% return environment. One thing I look through in a lot of the companies we look at is uh, there aren't too many companies with big pension liabilities anymore, but you go through a company's footnotes and you look at what they assume the return on their pension assets are and a lot of companies still assume like an 8 to 9% return and they haven't realized close to that over the past couple of years and there's no way they're going to re- realize that over the next couple of years especially because a lot of times 30-40% of their portfolio is in, in- income uh, assets that yield 2 or 3% so if you think about the implied return on the other 60 no way it gets there yeah. anyway I want to go to so let, why don't you talk a little bit about the best ways to protect yourself or take advantage of high equity prices right now protect yourself from possible decline sure and i'll just the last syllable i'll get out is uh the chance that the 21st century in absolute terms will match the 20th century for the united states of america equity market is 0.000 and then maybe something to the right of zero that has some chance you know we, we 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 sat out of the early part of two world wars that we reconstructed the world and that was great for equity markets. The chance that we will do that again or that in this case, in a, in a long-term sense, past returns will have anything to do with future returns is, is as close to zero. Um, so in terms of sitting this out, I mean, my biggest two things that we talk about that you feel kind of boring when everything's going straight out is position sizing. It's something we talk about a lot. As long as your security selection is good enough in a fair market, it, you feel kind of silly and boring thinking about it, but that's one of the biggest things that you have. Mm-hmm. So you mean position sizing is in, you know, uh, taking 2% positions, 5% yep. positions, 10% positions. When things are super cheap, you want to be, that's the time to be concentrated in your best ideas probably because hopefully they'll race up and they're protected on the downside because they're safe ideas. When things are kind of looking expensive, that's actually kind of the time for some diversification because generally, uh, you know, you find out who's naked when the tide yep. when the tide goes out. And some of these companies that might look, look safer right now, a Sun Edison a year ago, looked safe. It had all these yield co-assets. It had this great business model. It could raise unlimited amounts of money. And it turns out, oh, no, they're super leveraged and uh, the business is going bankrupt. And, and one of the important things, and you don't get really credit for it in the short term, is being very careful about the things that you should and do have a 1% position that you could have had a 4% position. And it did great. Yeah. And so you yeah. think, well, well, where do you get the credit for that? And you spent all this time thinking through that. We think a 
lot about that. And that's going to be one of the things that protect you. And then secondly, just a lot of liquidity and a lot of cash. Yeah. So I, I agree with all those. I think along the same lines, being willing to sell assets that are at fair value or slightly overvalued and fair fair markets, it can be tough as markets continue to race. And you're like, oh, I sold that at 20 and now it's at 25. But you know, if markets ever do go down to, you want to be you want to play defense and raise cash now so you can play offense when things are really cheap. Charlie Munger says it tongue-in-cheek, but you know you should always keep an extra $10 million in your checking account in case something comes up. <laughs> I wish I had $10 million in my checking account. I'll have to work on getting that first. But speaking of Charlie Munger, we are going to go to our expectations for Berkshire's meeting. Uh, before we get there, though, a quick request. Please take a second to rate this podcast wherever you're listening to it. It means a lot to both Chris and I, and hearing feedback from you is one of the things that keeps this podcast going. And Chris, I don't know if you know that, noticed this, but I just went and was looking through some of our ratings, and we had uh, several low ratings really? that came out right after we did a podcast on Sun Edison going bankrupt really? that I believe were people who were, thought who said, there's no way Sun Edison is going bankrupt, which, of course, Sun Edison proceeded to go bankrupt, but we have uh, two or three one-star ratings in response to that. Really? Yeah, I, so, I, haven't, I haven't even checked. Yeah. No, I, re- I read them all. That I just I read the reviews, but some you can leave a rating without writing a review, so I didn't realize there were a couple of them that were probably Sun Edison related. So if you can go cancel those out we would very much appreciate that anyway let's go to berkshire's annual meeting chris what are you expecting from it uh pithy repartee (laughs) between two old men eating seized candy i you know i had the same thing i am expecting nothing except uh what we already know one of the great things about buffett is uh every word of his is calculated and he's gotten to this point where if you ask him something, for instance, you say, hey, Warren, what's a great business look like? And he immediately goes into a seized candy story. He sold it 100 times. He'll tell mm-hmm. it 100 more. And that's kind of what his annual meeting is to me. Uh, you get very little new. Is there anything you just kind of get, you know, shareholders will ask him about his life. Shareholders will ask him about his worldviews. How do I get – how do I live my life, Warren? But you don't really get anything new from him. So it's refreshing to hear from two investing geniuses. Nothing earth-shattering is coming out of it. Go ahead. He has good uh, information network with his operating business. Oh, yeah. And so I've read every book about him. I'm a huge admirer of him. But I've kind of spent the amount of time I need to to imbue the philosophy. Yeah. I'm kind of a little bit done that. Um, but uh, but I'm, I'm really going to keep a keen ear open for what he's seeing in his railroads, for it, example. I wonder if he – he gets better economic data than the Federal Reserve at this Absolutely. point. Absolutely. I mean, he's got the he's got Berkshire, he's or Burlington, the railroad. He's got all of his insurance companies. He's got tons of consumer businesses. I bet he's the person with the most economic data in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything in particular aside from his takes on the economy that you'd be interested in hearing from him? Oh, purient interest uh, as uh, somebody who is an admirer. And follower, I'm curious about succession planning. I think it's going to be Ajit Jain. I yep. think uh, that's who I would pick. I'm an admirer of Ajit and uh, uh, expect to hear that, but would like to hear a little more on that perhaps. Two things I'd be interested in. Uh, Berkshire is huge in auto insurance mm-hmm. and railroads. And both of those places are things that I think could be very disrupted by autonomous vehicles. Yep. So I'd be interested in how he thinks about the tail risk to Geico, is his car insurer, from self-driving cars. And especially, I think railroads are very, very vulnerable to self-driving trucks. How he thinks about that competitive Electric threat. self-driving trucks. Ele- exactly. And electric self-driving t- truck basically takes all the costs except for the capital equipment out. And, electri- and an electric self-driving truck will have much lower capital costs than 
even a self-driving railroad would. So mm-hmm. I'd be very interested in that. I'd also be interested in hearing his takes on Valiant, the pharma company that blew up. Uh, we have heard through the grapevine that he takes the lowest possible view of it, but I'd be interested in hearing his thoughts on the political system that allows uh, healthcare companies to kind of take advantage of third-party payers, what he would do to correct with that. Uh, a lot of kind of his disciples, or not his disciples, but people who worship him, were in Valiant, and Valiant blew up. Uh, I'd be interested in just hearing his take because a lot of those people will be there and hearing what he thinks about them and kind of how it differs from their views. The first time I'd ever heard of the company was from Charlie Munger, uh, who exactly. was a huge early skeptic he, of Valiant. Charlie Munger came out and said, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, I rate Valiant – this is – not in a direct quote, but he said, on a scale of one to ten, I rate Valiant a one, and I think Warren would rate it a zero. Warren takes even less, and that, that caused early. That caused. I think it was early 2015, so it was like right before they peaked, right when Bill Ackman was building his stake. And Bill Ackman, uh, Charlie Munger said, "Call me old fashioned," but I think it's ridiculous what they're doing. And Bill Ackman said, "I'll call him old fashioned," and called Warren Buffett out for investing in Coke. And uh, obviously, a year later, uh, Charlie and Warren, as they always do, look fantastic, and Bill. Looks a little foolish there. Uh, I'll let you have the last word. Anything else on Berkshire Valiant? Anything? I was going to say something in defense of Bill looking great aesthetically, and but but uh, no, <laughs> he's a uh, he's a true silver fox, and uh, I, mean, I I say he looks uh, crazy for the Valiant thing, but obviously we think he's great too. He's had some incredible successes in his career, so. And I'm sure he doesn't listen to this podcast, so it doesn't quite matter what we say about him. Any last words? I have nothing to add. Great. Uh, That's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, a quick reminder. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audioboom. We're not on SoundCloud anymore. And if you have any feedback for us, please feel free to email it to us at podcast at rangethecapital.com. Uh, disclosures. I don't have any. Uh, Chris, I think you might be long some Berkshire. I'm long Berkshire. I'm trying to remember what else we mentioned. Uh, we didn't, uh, uh, unless you're long Valiant. I no, don't think we've mentioned I'm not. anything I have else. nothing to do with Valiant. I'm long Berkshire. Okay, great. So uh, those are our disclosures, and we will talk to you guys next week. Enjoy listening to Berkshire's annual meeting tomorrow.